0: I think that's one of the greatest ongoing phenomenon in the church in Africa is they are a visionary people. And as I go now and meet with our leaders, these stake presidents in Area 70s who are generally first-generation members, they have these stories. I'll often say, well, tell me how you joined this church. Oh, I had a dream about it before I ever joined the church. Hmm. But these people are given dreams from heaven. And they respond to them.
1: I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News. Welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In May, Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles visited Africa An area for which he has administrative oversight for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. In a social media post, Elder Rasband referenced a gathering in Mozambique, the largest gathering in the history of the church in that country. He told members in that post, This is just the beginning. Elder Rasband joins this special 100th episode of the Church News Podcast with Elder S. Mark Palmer of the Presidency of the 70 to talk about the church in Africa. They are joined in the episode by guest host, Sister Sherry L. Dew, Executive Vice President of Deseret Management Corp. and a former member of the Relief Society General Presidency.
2: Elder Rasband and Elder Palmer, we are just thrilled to welcome you to the Church News Podcast. Thank you so much for somehow squeezing in a little time this morning for us to have a conversation. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Sister Dew. And throughout the Conversation this morning, I might refer to you as Sherry. Is Good, that okay? I hope, sure, hope so. And I want to say a word of thanks to Sarah, who introduced this podcast this morning, and let her know that I personally am one of your greatest fans, and I enjoy this podcast. I've listened to many, and when you invited me and Elder Palmer to do this, I was just thrilled to be able to participate. So hopefully, we can add to the great history you've already got, and share with the members of the church who are listening some very exciting things that are happening in Elder Palmer's and my part of the world. Well,
1: thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
2: Elder Palmer, welcome to you as well.
3: Thank you so much, Sherry. It's really an honor, and I'm so pleased to be here with Elder Rasband. It's a great privilege for me to serve with him.
2: We're going to talk today... principally, about Africa. But before we start diving in on that, I would like to ask both of you perhaps an introductory or a, a ground laying question, and that is this. You've both had very distinguished lives and careers and many experiences prior to being called as general authorities. I wonder if you would just reflect and maybe select one or two as you think back retrospectively. Can you look at some of those experiences and say, Those experiences were actually preparing me for the kind of responsibilities I have today. And Elder Palmer, I wonder, could we start with you?
3: Well, sure. I think if we think about the assignment, when I was called as general authority, it was actually President Eyring who called me, and he he said to my wife and I, he said, well, we're going to, I was 60 years old at the time, he said, we're going to organize the next 10 years of your life, and we're sending you to Africa. (laughs) Well, that wasn't really on the radar for us. But because my family and I joined the church when I was very young uh, in New Zealand, I think the experiences of growing up in the Pacific have actually ended up being very, very helpful as we see an emerging church on the African continent. We joined the church at a time when the temple was under construction, and so the first temple in the Southern Hemisphere was dedicated, and our family was able to be sealed in that. At the time, uh, there was one stake outside of North America, and that was in Auckland, New Zealand. Auckland today has 13 stakes. We grew up in a church that was made up of so many from the islands of the Pacific. And, of course, uh, we saw and witnessed tremendous faith and how the Lord had prepared so many of our Maori saints and our Polynesian saints to accept the gospel through dreams and through visions And then we saw how a multicultural sense of unity and love could exist within this wonderful church society we have. So all those experiences of growing up in such an environment, I think have been enormously helpful as as I now get the great blessing of serving in Africa and seeing an emerging church there and having a little vision of what it can become as the second generation starts to grow up or even the third generation grows up in the church. so that would just be a little way in which perhaps the voters help prepare for this current assignment. Well, that's a
2: beautiful thought. I can picture from having been to so many places in both Africa and the South Pacific. Yeah, that rings visual to me to see how that could be very, very harmonious in terms of your experience. Elder Rasban.
0: Thank you, Sherry. And thank you, Mark, for that beautiful reflection on your life. Mine was a bit different. Sister Rasband and I are both sixth-generation Latter-day Saints. All of our great-grandparents were pioneers on both her side and my side. And so I have often felt, and I'm going to use a phrase that President Ballard uses, that I was born with believing blood. And from the earliest days that I can remember, at the knee of my angel mother— I have just believed. I've never had challenges of faith. I've never had challenges of my testimony. And I began that way in humble circumstances. My father was a truck driver, grew up in a humble home. It was a beautiful beginning to my life. And then throughout my life, it's as if, as you say, I look back now in hindsight, it's as if I was a chess piece on a chessboard. And Heavenly Father, the Lord, and the Holy Ghost, it seems, moved me from place to place, experience to experience. Different people influenced my life all along that journey. I like a statement by John Doan where he said, No man is an island, no man stands alone. That certainly applies to me and my life. I was molded. I was shaped by the people along that journey that contributed to who I am today. President Nelson once said, after Elder Stevenson Renland and I were called to the Twelve, he said to us and our wives, he said, My new brethren of the Twelve and you dear sisters, let me just say, it takes a long time and many experiences to grow an apostle of the Lord. And I went. Ding, ding, ding. That's me. It's been a life of experiences, a life of people. First and foremost of which is my sweetheart, Melanie, who has truly raised up her husband to serve in the capacity that we are now serving together. Others along that journey, certainly my employer. And partner for many years, John Huntsman, would have to be on that list. And both of them, Sherry, came from a decision I made, which some of your listeners are not going to like, but it's true nonetheless, to attend the University of Utah. Number one, (laughs) You're
2: looking at me as you say that. I I say that.
0: (laughs) Dressed in blue as you are today, I couldn't afford BYU. I didn't have the grades to go to BYU. And so I needed to live at home and go to school. And those were the reasons why I chose to go to the University of Utah. And that's where I met Sweet Melanie, was at the University of Utah, and that's where I met John Huntsman. And so those two singular events had as much shaping on my life as anything else that happened. And they were huge influencers and contributors and still are. I still follow my wife in so many ways. She, is the proclamation to the world suggests, she is truly my equal partner, and I love her so much. And there's very few days that go by that I don't think of my friend, partner, John Huntsman, and I still have a wonderful relationship with his family. Pepper that with all the church leaders I've met during the years and Other influencers, that's a popular word these days. I've had lots of those in my life, and I just feel blessed amongst all people to be able to serve where I'm serving and feel it an immense honor and privilege.
2: I just love both of your reflections. I love that they're very different. This is not a cookie-cutter church, and I love that. And I've been reflecting as both of you have been speaking on something Elder Neal A. Maxwell used to say. He used to talk about each of us having a divine orbit. And I hope that each of our listeners will reflect about their orbits and the people who have helped them and are helping them. That's a beautiful way to think about it and a beautiful beginning. Now, let's talk about Africa. I have looked forward to this so much. I would simply say that many moons ago when I was serving in the Relief Society General Presidency – I received a number of assignments to travel to quite a few countries in Africa. And it sounds so cliche, but it was life-changing for me. And so I have looked forward to saying, let me talk to some of you who have had more recent experiences than I have and more expanding and expanded experiences than I've had. The Church News just featured an article on the growth of the church in Africa over the past 10 years. And the statistics say, if I counted correctly, that there were at least 14 countries where the growth over the last decade has been more than 100%. And it seems like every week when the church news reports on new stakes created, it feels like half of them are from Africa. So talk to us about what you're seeing there, the positives of this kind of explosive growth, and maybe also some of the challenges associated with it. Elder Rasbind, do you want to lead out on this?
0: Okay. Well, let me give a little background before I comment on Africa. In my ministry at the church, now in its 21st year of general authority assignment, I've largely been assigned to supervise the church in Utah. Seventeen years of my ministry have been either as area president or supervising elder in the presidency of the 70 or the quorum of the 12 of Utah. And you can imagine now for me, after that background and that experience of uh, a year ago this month, beginning my service as the first presidency assigns me to supervise two of the areas in Africa, I was delighted, I was thrilled, and my excitement was only multiplied by knowing that. I said, well, I'd love to do that, but can I make one request? And they said, well, ask it and we'll tell you. I said, I'd love to have Elder Palmer, who's a new member of the presidency of the Seventy, be my cohort in supervising Africa. If you could just give him to me as my partner, we'll go and do the very best that the Lord would have us do. And lo and behold— For that reason or any other, I was grateful that Elder Palmer was assigned as my supervising companion. And as he told you in his beginning statement, when he began as a general authority, he was shipped off to Africa. So Mm -hmm. he has this rich background. And when we're now meeting with our area presidencies or considering area 70s or stake presidents or anyone I just turn to Elder Palmer, and he tells me about them. He says, well, I know them. I know him. I know his family. I know this mission. I know where we're going. And so for the benefit of the Lord's church right now, you've got a fresh-minded apostle looking at growth in Africa. Fresh eyes. Fresh Fresh eyes. eyes. Fresh eyes with a very different background of church supervision and— an absolute expert in Africa with Elder Palmer. And together with our wives, we've been to Africa now multiple times together. We've sat with presidents and kings. And even before I had this particular assignment, I had some beautiful assignments to go to Africa. And, you know, you just never finish learning when you go to Africa. Mm -hmm. You're learning all the time. And for me, it's one of the great honors of my life that I get now to face the African people on behalf of the first presidency in 12 with the deep love and affection I have in my heart for them.
2: I love what you just said. We never finish learning. Again, my experience is so shallow and so small compared to yours. But, oh, that's so true. Elder Palmer, please enlighten us.
3: Well, I think, first of all, I, I would never call myself an expert on Africa, but it has been a joy for Jackie and I to be there for five years. We were based in South Africa. There were, I think, 36 countries within the what are now the Africa South and Africa Central areas, and it's been a particular joy this past year to spend time in the Africa West area as well. I think your question, Sherry, related to the, the tremendous growth we're seeing happen, maybe a perspective on this. When uh, Sister Palmer and I, Jackie and I, first moved in 2016. Within the countries that go all the way up to Ethiopia, there was one temple which was in, in Johannesburg. Now there's also a temple in Accra and one in other Nigeria. You think about the impact that happens as all of a sudden so many more temples are announced and then you see these uh, tremendous number of stakes being formed that you reference. I think it's important to point out that You know, the Lord's hand is over the growth that's happening. They've been, we're all familiar with the remarkable things that happened in Nigeria and Ghana as the people were prepared before the church was able to become formally established. But throughout all of Africa, we have people in general, many cultures, many differences, but people in general who have great faith in Jesus Christ. And they very, very quick to open their hearts and their minds anything related to the Church of Jesus Christ. And so for us to be able to take that message that the Church of Jesus Christ has been restored, every missionary I've talked to will tell you they have people coming up to them uh, on the street and seeing the name of Jesus Christ on their name tag and wanting to know more. In five years, uh, I would talk to everybody I could meet and invite them to church. In five years, I never had one person who was rude or upset that I would invite them to hear from the missionaries who mm. come to church. Now, that's that's not the experience in the that's rest of the world. That's a statement, yeah. But this is what's happening in Africa. There is a, uh, a reservoir of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's this uh, tremendous uh, faith amongst our people, and then so many of them are first generation, but we have outstanding leaders there who are really carrying the church forward to great heights.
2: I've said in plenty of meetings where I've heard senior leaders talk about the importance of the church growing from centers of strength. How would that apply to Africa, and what are the challenges that come with explosive growth, along with the beauties that come with explosive growth? Elder Palmer, do you want to pick up where you just concluded?
3: I appreciate you mentioning centers of strength, because that is, of course, one of the great challenges. You have so many people who will move to a village or move to a town or have gathered together and become attracted to the church through online methods or through uh, relatives. And yet one of the great challenges for the leaders of the church, and this has been over many years now, has been to say, well, the gospel will eventually come to all people and it'll be taught to all people in their tongue, but it needs to be done in the Lord's way. And so, it's the hardest thing to have to say to people, we can't actually bring the church to you right now. We can't send missionaries because there's a limited number of resources, many hundreds of millions of people. And the church has had to start in larger population centers and grow the church there. So if you will, the, the branches don't overgrow the roots of the tree. So that center of strength strategy still continues to be a challenge. And sometimes wonderful saints in Africa will say, well, can't we just have the church come now? We've got 100 people who want to meet together and have the missionaries." and So that's a difficult thing for leaders to have to continue to do it in a thoughtful and inspired way. And then the other question is, what are some of the other challenges? Well, when you have people who come into the church and are called to be a bishop or go on a mission after one year in the church, called to be a bishop a year after they get back from a mission. We have state presidents who have been members for five or six years. Well, there's naturally going to be just things that they don't know. And so one of the great challenges is to be able to strengthen, teach, and grow the future leaders of the church there. And that's happening in a wonderful way.
2: It's a great problem to have, isn't it? That's a happy problem. Elder Rasband, please pick up where Elder Palmer just left off.
0: I would just add an exclamation point to one thing that he said. And that is the importance of training of leaders, men and women. We have taken this year that Elder Palmer and I have had, and most of what we have done has been training of leaders, men and women, who are filling these positions now. And, you know, they get to have access to the same general church handbook that we do Mm -hmm. here in Salt Lake which has its pluses and its minuses. Mm -hmm. And we try to start them with the basic menu of the church. Years ago, we had a basic unit program. Africa is really the basic unit area. And we're building, we add a little more meat, a little more milk, we spoon feed, we just do the best we can to bring them along in a line upon line, precept upon precept way. And it's very critical that we have leaders at the area presidency level, the area 70 level, the organization sisters that are now available throughout Africa that are helping to train their leaders. And so I put training right up at the top of what's essential as we monitor the growth of the church in Africa.
2: I love that. And something you just said, Elder Rasband, reminded me of something that I heard President Boyd K. Packer say more than once, and that is, in addition to all of the practical training repeated, so repetition, 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 never forget that the Spirit is just as close to Johannesburg as it is to Salt Lake City.
0: Boy, that's the truth.
2: And so we know that these people are... Unusually spiritually receptive. We've all heard legendary stories. Elder Palmer inferred this just a little bit ago about things that happened, experiences that happened prior to 1978 with the priesthood revelation, where there would be men and women who would come across a Book of Mormon or come across an ad about the church in the Reader's Digest or something and plead with Salt Lake City to send missionaries. And you both just explained why that couldn't always happen right at the time. But post 1978, again, in referring to what Elder Palmer mentioned, when the church did start to proselytize, particularly in Nigeria and Ghana, and they're lining up, we've seen the pictures and them lining up for baptism. What should we understand about the Lord preparing an entire continent for the restoration? Elder Rasmussen, do you want to lead on that?
0: my immediate reaction, Sherry, is having read all those stories and accounts, Hmm. having been to those countries, having been to the very locations those branches first met in, my reaction is, is it still happening? For some reason, the Lord grants to these African people dreams and visions. They are a visionary people. As Elder Palmer said, missionaries will be walking down the street And friends of the church will walk up to them and say, I had a dream about you. I saw young men in white shirts with black something on them, and I need to know who you are and what you're doing. They are a visionary people. And so those dreams, those visions, those instincts are still in place. And as I go now and meet with our leaders – These stake presidents in Area 70s who are generally first-generation members, they have these stories. I'll often say, well, tell me how you joined this church. Oh, I had a dream about it before I ever joined the church. Hmm. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I've looked at my own life and say, should I be more of a visionary man? Should I be more attentive to my dreams that sometimes don't make any sense to me? But these people are given dreams from heaven and they respond to them. And I think that's one of the greatest ongoing phenomenon in the church in Africa is they are a visionary people and missionaries will meet them and greet them, or these friends will meet and greet the missionaries.
2: It's absolutely beautiful. Elder Palmer, what would you add to that?
3: I love what Elder been said. I just love it. My wife and I last week were in Ghana. And uh, we were talking to uh, the church history advisor there and his wife, asked how they came into the church. Both of them shared an experience that related to a dream they had, related to the Book of Mormon. I can remember being in Lubumbashi in the DR Congo interviewing men as candidates for state president. One of them told me, well, he had a dream in which he saw the name of the church in his dream, in French, obviously, and some time later. He then saw one of our church meeting houses and saw the name of the church on it and knew that was a fulfillment of his dream. There are countless, countless experiences like this. And so um, why is this happening? Well, I love what it says in the end of Elmer chapter 26 when it says uh, that God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. And uh, God is very mindful of these who are searching for truth. In the many, many countries across the continent
2: of Africa. You've both prompted me to think about a moment I had sitting in a stake center outside of Accra in Ghana, and the opening prayer was offered by a woman that was so profound that I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure angels are here. I wonder if I look up, if I could see them. I just thought, well, I'm sitting on the stand. Maybe I shouldn't be looking around with my eyes open. But it was a freeze-frame moment I still haven't forgotten. Let's switch just slightly and say another characteristic that seems to be prevalent with, frankly, in every country I've been in, and I've not been in nearly as many as the two of you. But the African people feel happier. You look around and see the conditions in which they live. They don't necessarily look like happy conditions everywhere that you look. But as a people, it always feels happy. Would you comment on that? Elder Palmer, let's start with you and then go to Elder Rasband.
3: Well, it's been a marvelous learning experience for me personally that the joy you feel has very little to do with uh, material wealth. I do want to look back to one thing. When we talk about the African people, the African continent, we do need to remember, of course, that the church was first introduced in South Africa back in the 1850s. And then you have just a variety. You have some countries where it's just beginning and others where it has been for some time. But in responding to that question about happiness and joy, I remember being in a meeting with uh, Elder Bednar, and it was a group of mission presidents and state presidents and their wives. And he made a comment about needing to avoid the pride cycle, which seems like an interesting thing to talk about when we have a number of our saints who are by the world standards living in meagre circumstances and I remember one of our wonderful mission presidents his name is President Chattumbuka he's now serving as in Area 70 he said you know many times I've gone into homes with senior missionary couples foreign missionary couples and I go into the home and I watch a foreign couple who will kind of break down in tears and feel such pity for those that they're visiting and he says I no, just being a local and having a deeper understanding of the people I said well Why would you feel pity, even though they might not have a lot in terms of temporal possessions? Those that we're visiting are happy. They have the joy of the gospel. If you use a scriptural term, they have eternal riches. And, of course, they're so willing to share whatever they have. So true happiness and joy comes from this connection with family and connection with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this reflected in those who are living in prosperous circumstances within Africa and those who also living in circumstances that are far from prosperous.
0: Thank
2: you, Elder Rasban.
0: I mentioned earlier that I still have much to learn in Africa. And this is one topic I want to plumb even deeper. I seem to feel that their happiness is related to the simplicity, and I don't say that in a negative way, the simplicity of their lives. They truly can focus on things that matter most. They can focus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. They can focus on the messages of the prophet. They have a tendency to order in their lives the things that matter most, and that gives them great happiness is what I've learned. You go into an African humble home, I've done that. And it may have a tin roof. It may have a dirt floor. But on the wall will be a picture of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Or on the wall will be a picture of their closest temple, which for some of them is a great distance away. And they either have a great hope that someday they can go there or they've been there and they're preserving a magnificent memory. And that might be all the decoration that they might have in their living room, which may serve as other purposes, too. So I think the complexity that we've added to our lives in many cases sometimes clouds the things that really matter most. And I think for these wonderful African saints— they can still focus on the things that matter most. And they do, and I think it brings great happiness for them.
2: I vividly remember sitting in an airplane flying home from my first trip to Africa thinking, I wonder who the Lord is worried about more the Africans who have nothing but happiness or the Americans who have everything but happiness. I'm not sure what the answer to that
0: would be. That's part of future lessons we all need to learn. More learning. Because there are lessons that are going to bless this whole church from our experience Mm. in Africa. Isn't that the truth? And we need to know how to magnify them to everyone else. Beautiful.
2: Now, Elder Palmer a minute ago mentioned temples. If we've counted correctly, we think we have six operating temples on the continent now, and that would include a temple just recently dedicated in Cape Verde, and 16 more, 16 more announced or in process. What difference is the increase in temples going to make? Elder Rasband?
0: Well, let's first of all talk about the revelation that came to Russell Marion Nelson as he announces temples all over the world. Many countries, many cities clamoring for that announcement in general (laughs) conference. And here we have 16 coming to Africa. What does the Lord see revealed to his servant, the prophet, for the future of Africa? He sees a temple-going people, which means the likes of Elder Palmer and I and area presidencies and— Brother and sister leaders need to prepare the people now to be a believing, recommend-carrying people in anticipation of these temples. And whenever I have brought this up, they rejoice in it. They are so excited to think that the prophet has seen Africa with those lens that there's 16 (laughs) more— Coming. May I tell a quick story? Please. So on our last trip, Elder Palmer and I went to Kenya where a temple is being built. It's out of the ground. It's going to be a beautiful temple. It's in Nairobi, right? Yes. And as we were making that plan, we were told that the prominent local television station wanted to interview us on live TV at the temple site. Whoa, I got pretty excited about that. Live TV, say what we want to say to the whole country. So they had a very capable young man interviewing us. I did this interview with Elder Joseph Mm Satati, our area president, and we talked a little bit about different aspects of the temple. But the last question was startling to me. Live television broadcast through the whole country. Here's the question. Elder Rasband, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, what would you have to say to the people of Kenya Mm. today? Mm. I still remember the moment. I wondered if I should cower back a little bit and not be too apostolic. And as soon as I thought that, I said, no, no, my Ordination by Thomas Monson said, You're a special witness of Jesus Christ at all times, at all places, and in every circumstance. Here's a circumstance I'm in, and I'm being interviewed live television to the country. And so I bore them my witness of Jesus Christ. And I told them— and." pronounced a blessing as I shared with them upon the country, upon its leaders, and upon the people, that they would be blessed as they turned themselves to Jesus Christ in whatever condition, whatever religion, whatever part of life they are in, their lives will be blessed and Kenya as a nation would be blessed. And I concluded, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. That's how that interview ended on public television in Nairobi, Kenya, with a rendering of the temple behind my back. My goodness. And it was a powerful moment. You remember that, Elder Palmer?
3: Oh, I do for sure. And I remember the impact it had on members as well, who were able to watch that. And, and, you know, we haven't always been well-received in Kenya, but as a temple comes and you have an apostle visit, it just helps break down some of these barriers about the church
2: represents. The very fact that that young interviewer would ask that kind of question says something about those people.
0: It does. And at first, I was startled that he asked that and saved it for his last question. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he too was inspired of the Lord, Mm -hmm. and I think it was meant to happen. You mentioned Neil Maxwell earlier, Sherry. Neil Maxwell also said one time, there's no such thing in a church, or gospel setting as a coincidence. They are all there by divine design. And that was one of those moments. It was meant to happen, and fortunately I didn't falter under the pressure and went forward in an apostolic way. And think of the missionaries the next day. They now go out and someone at the door says, we saw your apostle on TV. Come in and tell us what happened. I'm sure that's happened, too. And it's happened, hasn't it, Elder Palmer? For sure. So that's just an experience that comes to mind, is the Lord has seen the African people. Through his prophet, he's revealed 16 more temples, and we now have the obligation to prepare a temple-ready people.
2: Before we leave the subject of temples, you dedicated right before COVID hit everybody. Yes. You dedicated a temple in Durban. Is that right? Yes. Anything you'd like to share with us about that moment?
0: Your podcast isn't long enough for me to uh, (laughs) share what I had in that moment. It was unbelievable. We decided to make a two-week trip of that, and we visited cities that were in the temple district before the dedication. You were with me there, too, weren't you, Elder Palmer?
3: I was. Unforgettable.
0: Mention some of the cities we went to.
3: Well, we were in East London, Port Elizabeth. We went to uh, Maserat and Masutu, uh, of course, Durban itself.
0: Cape Town, I think?
3: Cape Town, yes, for sure. That's right.
0: And so we kind of got a feeling for the people that we're all going to be now part of this new temple district. And that blessed me so much to get a feeling of the people who were going to go and how much they were excited for this temple in Durban. Now, along with that, we had the magnificent experience of taking the king of the Zulu nation through a temple visit. Was that just the day before we dedicated the temple?
3: Yeah, that was on the Saturday.
0: That's right. So most unusual. Usually the open house happens right. weeks and weeks ahead of time. But this was the only day he could come. And so Elder Palmer and I asked our temple department colleagues, can't we walk him through and his royal entourage? And we did. And I'll never forget sitting with him and one of his wives sitting in the ceiling room and Melanie, my wife, sweetheart that she is, bearing witness about the sealing power of God and how that in these holy places that they were sitting in right then, they could be sealed for time and all eternity. And I saw a tear well up in the wife's eye. She still is a good friend to my wife, Melanie. They still communicate, especially after her husband, the king, passed away of covid What, in the last year, Elder Palmer?
3: Yeah, it was probably about 18 months ago, I would think.
0: Yeah, so that was one of his finale experiences, being in the Durban Temple, hearing about the sealing power of God, and knowing that within the church, our reach as to his people is like 30 million Zulus spread out in multiple countries in Africa, and here we were with him on a full tour of the Durban Temple. That's just one of many experiences, let alone the dedicatory services the next day and the people that came and the beautiful children. And my mind is just full of Durban experiences.
2: One of the challenges of this podcast is something you just said a minute ago. We don't have long enough to talk about everything we would love to talk about. Let me ask you a question, Elder Rasband, and then I have a concluding question for you both. Against the backdrop of everything we've just heard, you both testify about and and relate to us, which is so informative, and it's mind-expanding, and it's inspiring as well. But President Nelson, when he was still Elder Nelson, a few years ago, along with Sister Nelson, had a very frightening experience in Mozambique, where they were attacked, actually, and were really in mortal danger. They... Absolutely love the people they met there. They've spoken openly about that. But it was a harrowing experience. I contrast that with an experience you had fairly recently of visiting the president of Mozambique. Would you talk to us about that, your experience, along with that interesting and quite stark contrast?
0: Well, thank you, Sherry. Let me just say for all your listeners... That that story is recounted in detail in a book you were asked to do with President Nelson entitled Insights, I believe. And he gave you the permission to tell that story. Yes, he did. It's beautifully told there. And I would just recommend to all of our listeners that if they'd like to hear that frightening story, it's recounted beautifully in that book. So I had read that multiple times. Elder Palmer and I had talked about it. And here we are set up to go now meet in Mozambique with our members, which, by the way, the church has grown since those days that Elder Nelson was there to being over 15,000 members strong. We had a, a meeting with members and friends of the church one night where they got the biggest hall, the biggest ballroom in any hotel there. And we had. A member meeting. Do you remember that, Elder Palmer?
3: Yes, I was in Maputo, and it was on a weeknight when it was difficult for people to
0: travel. People standing in the windows, standing outside, trying to hear what we were mm. saying. And then that teed us up to this meeting with the president. And he was happy to receive us. We got in there. It was very presidential style. He sat at the head of the table. I was to his left. And all the local Mozambique press was in the room with their cameras rolling. And the first thing the president says to me, Elder Rasband, would you pray for our country and would you pray for me? My goodness. That was his first comment. So I thought about that President Monson invitation (laughs) again at all times, in all places, in every circumstance, even this one. And I stood up, and I offered a heartfelt prayer for him as the president, for the country of Mozambique, for their citizens, for their civil conflict they had going on at the time, for their efforts to care for children and the underprivileged in that country. And I don't always remember prayers that I offer, but I remember that one. And I concluded that one also. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And it had a stunning effect on that room and the president. At the end of our discussion, I could have brought any kind of a gift. A Christmas statue, a statue of the handcart pioneers, which years and years ago is what I used to give away. Not anymore. What I do now is I follow the lead of President Nelson. When he has a head of state come to visit with him, he presents to them a leather-bound copy of the Book of Mormon with the name of the guest embossed on the cover. And then he not only hands it to them very tenderly and humbly, but he'll turn to some pages in the Book of Mormon, 3rd Nephi in particular. I've been there. I've seen this. So have I. And he'll tell them about the Book of Mormon. He'll say, of all the things I could give you, this is the most precious. That's what I did at the end of this meeting with the king of Mozambique. And I handed him with both hands this Book of Mormon with his name in Portuguese on the cover. And he took it and held it close to his heart. That's how we finished the meeting. And when I came home from that trip, And I sat knee-to-knee with President Nelson. I said, President, some 13, 14 years ago, you had your experience in the very city that I was in, and you were miraculously saved by the Lord. It was miraculous. I said, now, fast forward to this trip Elder Palmer and I and our sweet wives just took. And here I am handing the Book of Mormon to the President, of the country and being offered by him to pray also on public television to be broadcast to the whole country. And then he said to me, Ron, that also was a miracle. And so you've got these two miracle bookends, Uh his sad experience, but he was saved by the Lord in a miraculous way. And then mine where I was able, in a miraculous way, to help continue to move the church forward. So that's that's that little story, Sherry.
2: Elder Palmer, do you want... uh, That's not a a little story. Elder Palmer, any reflection you want to add to that before we go to our last question, since you observed all of this?
3: No, it was just one of those experiences that none of us will forget. I think Elder Asbest described it beautifully.
2: In the spirit of reflecting on the experiences you've had thus far, particularly in Africa. What do you know today that you didn't know before you started having these experiences? Love to know, beginning with you, Elder Palmer, and any concluding words that you would be willing to share with us, and then Elder Rasban.:
3: Well, thank you, Sherry. I think uh, when I was assigned to go down to Africa, I met with Elder Carl Cook, who had just returned, and I said, do you have any advice for me in this new role? serving in Africa and he said, Mark, he said, you go down there and you'll think that you're going to teach the people, but in actual fact they will teach you. And that has absolutely been the case. Without any doubt, the lessons learned have been lessons learned as we've watched uh, pure testimony born and meeting after meeting as we've watched uh, tremendous faith amongst our converts and, and tremendous consecration amongst our leaders. And then the second piece of advice he gave was, he said, just always remember that you are serving under prophetic direction and that the apostles who are called to supervise the work and who visit within Africa pay real close attention to what they say and what they do. That has also been a great learning experience to watch the impact of those the Lord has called us as living apostles go out just like they did in days of old and receive very, very clear spiritual impressions about what is needed at that time. For the particular group they're with You've heard about this experience in Mozambique But I could share with you Others uh, including uh, Some remarkable insights that Happened when Elder Rasband was there A couple of months ago related to How we have more missionaries be able to serve Which is of course so vital to the future of the church So uh, I guess If there's a concluding comment I'd make Is that I have such a testimony That the Lord is preparing His children That we are seeing tremendous leaders from Africa. The church is in very, very good hands. We have some wonderful general authorities now and tremendous mission presidents and faithful people serving in all callings. And then how inspiring it's been to watch uh, President Nelson come in 2018, first after he was called to both Nairobi and to Harare and to watch the apostles as they sought the inspiration in heaven to provide the guidance needed to help move the Lord's church forward. So uh, I'm very, very grateful for the privilege of being a witness to that.
2: Thank you so much, Elder Palmer. Elder Rasband, could we give you the last word? And in doing so, thank you both profoundly for sharing your heart and your experiences and your insights with us. This has been for me an inspiring experience. Thank you. Elder Rasband, the last word.
0: Let me say first, what a privilege it is for me to serve with, Elder and Sister Palmer, I think you can gather from his wonderful spirit and testimony that he is a jewel for the Church also, and I'm honored that we have a chance to work so closely together. Secondly, let me thank you, Sherry, and Sarah, for the privilege of being on your podcast. We have only seen the tip of the iceberg here today, and as I mentioned multiple times now, I still have much to learn And I hope I can have much to offer in the years ahead in this great assignment that we share in Africa. I draw from the Scriptures to give my conclusion, and that is that I know that God loveth all of His children of every color, of every gender, of every nation, tongue, and people. And... He has the message of redemption for them. And it's our great privilege on this side of the veil to go forward with our members and missionaries to share the importance of the gathering of Israel and what it means to Heavenly Father to have His children gathered. And Africa is going to continue to be a great gathering harvest for this church for many years to come. And I'm completely confident that the Lord will raise up a generation to be leaders amongst the men and women to help shepherd this growth and to be prepared for these many new temples that are coming to Africa. That. The Lord's gathering will continue in full measure amongst these wonderful Saints and all the Saints and all of Heavenly Father's children throughout the world. I love the Lord. I know that this is His Church. I know that He presides at the head of it. And I know through many sacred experiences that the Lord is in the detail of individuals' lives and in the magnificence and grandeur of his church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
2: Amen.
1: You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor, Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.